Now, I'm not a baseball player. I know how to swing a bat, not like he knows how to swing a bat. And I really didn't care to learn how to swing a bat. I wanted to learn how he was going to teach me to swing a bat. We went through that exercise a few times, and I picked up a few tips about the best way to handle and maneuver the robot in a way that, that's, that's sort of natural. And I wouldn't say that it, it was an aha moment or a big milestone, but it was sort of part of the way we think about how we create our robots so that they're accessible by people who don't normally use robots. This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff. Today's guest on the show is Zach Bogart, founder of Productive Robotics. Productive Robotics manufactures a seven-axis collaborative robot called the OB7. Zach says that the OB7 is different from other robots because it can't be programmed with code. It only works by the operator showing it what to do. Also, by featuring seven-axis rather than six, like on a typical robot, the OB7 has the ability to do more awkward human-like movements, such as grabbing a part inside a CNC machine while not being directly in front of its door. As a used machine tool dealer specializing in high-production equipment, I've encountered plenty of fire-damaged machines. An average fire costs a business $300,000 to $500,000 and six to eight weeks of lost production time. Installed on over 15,000 CNC machines, FireTrace protects shops running oil-based coolants by automatically detecting and suppressing fires within seconds. After FireTrace stops a fire, its system quickly rearms and you can have your machine back up and running in as little as 45 minutes. For more details, go to www.firetrace.com slash swarfcast. That's www.firetrace.com slash swarfcast. I am really, really happy to be with Zach Bogart, founder of Productive Robotics in Carpinteria, California. Welcome to the show, Zach. Well, thank you, Noah. So today we're going to talk about cobots. It's a subject we've talked plenty about on this show. But I think Zach and his company, Productive Robotics, is going to give us a bit of a new, a new spin on it. And I'm really excited to jump in. So in 60 seconds, why don't you give me like your story of how you got into it? If it takes you a little longer than 60 seconds, it's okay. But uh, and, and then I want to know about productive robotics and see how it can help us. Sure. Uh, well, we started with robots actually in the 80s in the motion picture business. Uh, we were creating uh, large robots that moved motion picture cameras around on a, on a soundstage, special effects stage uh, for doing special effects movies, uh, spaceships and airplanes and whole, whole myriad of things. Wow. And uh, the robots at the time, we didn't, we didn't call them robots. We just called them a motion control system, but they were what, you, what everybody thinks of today as a robot. They shaped a little differently and looked uh, a little different. But uh, yeah, they, uh, there'd be actually two of them uh, on big tracks, and one would have a camera that would fly down the track, and the other one would have a model on it, and they would coordinate and interact together. And 
what, what we had to do at the time was we had to basically create these things so that movie directors and camera people could learn how to teach this this contraption, this robot, uh, how to move and where to move. So you had to make it user friendly. Well, yeah, that's 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 true. And uh, the the people who were going to be working with us didn't didn't know anything about programming or math or or anything. So we really had to create it and make it work in a way that that they could, they could do it. Now, we did it a little differently then than we do now. We we uh, did it with joysticks, and they could fly the thing around like a like a model. Mm-hmm. Um, and the robot would learn the movements from the joysticks and do certain kinds of processing on it and uh, to create these these shots. And, and what, what they cared about was, was how the robot moved, um, not even so much that it got to where it was supposed to go, although it did. What they really cared about is what it looked like as it moved. Mm-hmm. That was that's sort of the genesis of the idea of how ROB7 robots work. Um, the technology's obviously changed in, in 40 years. It's been uh, 35 years or so. But the concept of creating a robot that doesn't require programming and that anybody can operate is what persists. So that's, that's what we took into, uh, into our collaborative robots. Very interesting. And you started the company, this iteration of the company, in 2015? Uh, well, in earnest, in 2015, the company was actually incorporated before that. But uh, but that's when we really were in earnest doing developing the uh, the product, and uh, we we showed the first one in 2017. You know, we started shipping them in 2018, so they've been shipping now for over two years. But we took a we took quite a bit of a different spin um, from today's collaborative robots, both in terms of uh, that there's no programming in the robots that you teach them what to do by by showing them by physically grabbing the end of the robot and moving it from place to place and showing it where what it's supposed to do and where it's what it's supposed to pick up, what it's supposed to put down, where and where you do that. And we also increased the number of axes in the robot to seven, seven joints. And, um, and that's, pretty, that's pretty unique amongst all robots, right? Well, it's not, it's not, we're not the only one. There are other people who have done it. And, um, and there's a very good reason for doing it. Uh, and the reason is that seven joints or seven axes, people like to call them axes, but they're really sort of joints, are fundamentally what you have in your own arm. And the seventh joint is the one that gives it the extra um, maneuverability and flexibility in the workplace because the seventh joint allows it to reach around obstacles. It's the same Mm -hmm. motion that you would use, for example, with your arm if you were either arm wrestling or hugging someone. You can you use that that motion to be able to reach around. We did that because it offers a great deal more flexibility in the in the work environment as to where you place the robot and placing it in a way that people can still get into the work area because you don't have to put it directly in front of the work. You can put it sort of off to the side and allows people access to the area. Can you tell us uh, exactly, just give a few examples of the applications it's being used for. Um, I, I know it's in tandem with a lot of different CNC equipment, Swiss or mills or can you give an example of what it's exactly doing and what what the proximity is, et cetera? 
Sure. And as you're uh, as you're representing a, a CNC and machining company, I will we'll focus on that a little bit. Uh, our robots are working in a lot of environments, not just CNC. But mm. in this circumstance, the robot basically sits in front of. Uh, we'll we'll give you an example of a vertical machining center. The robot sits in front of the machining center, and it sits on a stand that has a table built onto it, so you can stage your blank work pieces, your, your material blanks out on that table. Uh, it's not the only way to stage them, but it's convenient. And the robot will basically load and unload the CNC machine. Our goal is to have our robots go in and, and be installed and interface to the machines as quickly and simply as possible. So we, we aim the robot uh, to operate the machine very much like a person does. So the robot sits in front of the machine. When it's time to load the machine, it opens the door by grabbing the door handle and pulling the door open. That is if it has a manual door, if it has an automatic door, it would just actuate it. But most of the machines uh, we see have manual doors. So the robot just uh, grabs the handle and opens it just like you do your refrigerator. And then it picks up the part from the table and it loads it into the work holding in the machine, typically in a mill, it's typically a vise, uh, clamps the vise, then closes the door and then reaches around generally behind it and pushes the big green button to start. Wow. So that's basically what a person does. And then it stands there like a person does and waits till the machining cycle's finished. And when the machining cycle's finished, it then opens the door takes the part out of the vise, places it wherever it is you've told it to place it, in a box or bin or barrel or whatever, grabs a fresh blank, puts it back into the vise, closes the door and pushes the button again and sits and does that all day and all night long. Wow. How is that different from, you know, some of your competitors like Fanix, Cobot or, or Universal Robotics, Cobot's well, the, the primary way it's different is after, after you, you obtain all of the necessary accessories, which, which we uh, bundle into a package so you don't have to go find a place to buy them. The primary difference is that with the seven axes on our robot, you don't have to locate the robot right smack dab in front of the machine door. So mm. because it can reach around somewhat, you can, you can locate it off to the side of the door. So then it can reach around and reach the, and move the, pick up the part and reach around inside and put it in the vise without having to be directly in a line of sight. And the benefit of that is that it leaves the machine open and accessible for setups and tool changes. So it leaves room for a person to be there for a person to get in there. And when the robots is occupying the central space in front of the door, it really is very difficult for a person to, to uh, get in and work on the work on the machine changing tools or, or fixtures or, or whatever. I know some of the competitors, they say that they learn by watching the person move as well. You said one of the main differences is the seventh axis. Besides the seventh axis is is it better at emulating somebody's movement than the others, or is it sort of comparable aside from the seventh axis? Well, once it's done and the job is set up, you will find that the movements in, in OB7 uh, look a little bit more uh, oh, like a person. They're a little bit more organic. And that, that's just because of the way we've designed the algorithms. But 
honestly, either machine will, uh, or either either robot you choose will load and unload your machine uh, and do it successfully. Mm-hmm. But the difference is going to be in how you get there. So while you can, for example, with many robots, move, push the robot or move the robot into a particular position and then on the pendant or the, the, the uh, control t- uh, controller, you can push a button which will set that as a, a waypoint and then you can move to another position and set that as the waypoint and the robot will make a movement through those points. It'll make a movement through those points, but it'll put those points into code. And so then you take those points and they'll be set in the code and then you write the code around those points to make the movements through those points. So the difference in in our approach is that you don't really set any points unless you need to uh, make a very complex path to avoid some obstacles. You don't really have to set any points. You handle the robot, you you use the robot and you move it over to the part you want to pick up and you push a button and and that causes the gripper to close and grab the part. And uh, and then the then the software automatically knows at that point. Well, you're obviously trying to pick something up, mm-hmm. and then you you'll take the part. Uh, you'll move the robot part in hand over to where it needs to go, and you'll place it down in the in the vise usually. And you'll push the button that opens the the gripper, and it'll robot knows well. Okay, I picked it up before. Now it's time for me to put it down. I get that. And for the simplest of movements, that's it. You've just done that and it learns that and you can run that all day long. That's all you have to do. Now, there's no limitation to what the system can do versus, for example, what you can write code to do. It will do and there's a way to do every everything you might want to do in written in in a program you've written as code, but you don't have to actually write out the lines of code. So a typical example of that would be, uh, let's say, picking up parts out of a grid, like an egg carton uh, grid. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to write any code with loops and variables and things like that. All you do is you show the robot three corners of the grid of, of where to pick it up and tell it how many are in there and it figures out all the rest. Do you take a picture of it? And then it makes the grid or? No, you just show it the corners, the three corners by moving it into the three corners, push the button each time and tell it, I tell it if it were, for example, if it were a carton of eggs, you tell it it's six one way and two the other. Mm -hmm. And the robot will take care of the rest. Similarly, if your parts are stacked, which is very common, you'll tell it how, how tall the stack is and how many parts are in it. And it will automatically take care of everything else. And it will integrate that all without you having to do any sort of coding. Well, what if you wanted to? Is there a mechanism that's that's on there, like a tablet or a... Oh, there is a tablet, and the tablet is sort of the... It's the pendant. It's their, the, yeah, your version of it. Most people call them pendants. We actually use a tablet because uh, I think people are a little more used to it and these days, and it's all drag and drop in terms of, uh, of uh, any of the operations you might choose to do. So you're not you're not typing in any coordinates. No, it's just you're just like doing it with your finger or with a stylus. Just with it, yeah, exactly. And in fact, we've we've actually hidden all of the coordinates from the operator. There's there's only one place that you can actually see the coordinates, and that is if you need to do some fine tuning of a position, and you say you want to move the you want the robot to 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 move over, say, uh, you know, a hundredth of an inch. 
then you can see some coordinates so that you can you can measure out a hundredth of an inch or it will show you it's moved a hundredth of an inch. But for all the normal operations, we've actually hidden all the coordinates to make it simple to use. Does that make you have to fight certain people that think that they're smart like that? And I mean, because, you know, programmers for machines are using it. So they're used to doing like X's and Y's. And yeah, You're right. Absolutely right. They are. And robot programming is a little different than CNC programming. So we, we had some thoughts that, well, CNC programmers already know how to do that. So they'll gravitate away from such a simple robot. But we found out it's not the case, that they're just perfectly thrilled to use the robot as it uh-huh. is. And a, and a lot of the times, the CNC programmer is not the same as the setup person. So, um, And the setup person is usually setting up the robot. But, you know, the honest answer is that, that the other robots on the market, you know, do say that they have easy programming. And, and they're absolutely right. Compared to so many things, it is really easy programming if you're a programmer. Uh-huh. <laughs> and if you're not a programmer, you can learn it, but again, you still need to learn it. And so that's that's uh, um, really basically the difference. And at the end of the day, once you've learned, for example, to program your robot, well, you can you can uh, do it just as effectively as, as ours. It's slower um, and a little more complex. But um, but if you know how to program a robot, yes, you can use uh, you can program pretty much any of the robots out there. You know, to be candid here, I mean, you know, let's let's be candid. I, this is not a big marketing, uh, much marketing. It's the reality. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graphpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. Well, you know, we were talking before about how seeing, learning by seeing, there's a guy named Tim Galloway was a tennis pro back in the 70s and he discovered he had more success not telling players anything and just having them watch him than actually telling them this command and that command. Often when he told them to do something, they would screw up that exact thing. And then you were saying when you were working out with your son playing baseball, you had a sort of similar thought. Can you explain that? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I'm not a baseball player. He is. Um, but what I did is I took him out in the backyard and I said, I want you to teach me how to swing a bat. Now, I'm not a baseball player. I know how to swing a bat. Not like he knows how to swing a bat. But And I really didn't care to learn how to swing a bat. I wanted to learn how he was going to teach me to swing a bat. We went through that exercise a few times and I picked up a few tips about the best way to handle and maneuver the robot um, in a way that, that's, that's sort of natural. 
And um, and I wouldn't say that it was a it was an aha moment or a big milestone, but it was sort of part of the way we think about how we create our robots so that they're accessible by uh, right. by people who who don't you normally use robots. To me, it's possible that programming the robot by having it emulate you that it's it's in a way more accurate, right? It's going to do what you want it to do more precisely than if you were just kind of commanding it with a computer, or it just kind of depends on the right application. Well, you know, in the case of a, of a, of a robot, of uh, this type of a robot doing the work that it does, loading and unloading machines or picking and placing or moving along uh, some, uh, doing some specific movements, if you if you watch typically the way robots and you, there's tons of video of robots out there and you watch typically the way they work, they move in a very robotic way. <laughs> they move here, then they move there, then they pause, they move here, then they move there. And the movements are very uh, well, if you look at them, you kind of describe them as mechanical or, 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 uh, or robotic even. And because of the way uh, OB7 puts its moves together, it doesn't have those sort of awkward, jerky pauses. It moves in a continuous, smoother path. Now, this isn't, isn't, doesn't mean that, that the other robots on the market can't do that. They can, but it's just the very nature of the pro- of programming that forces you or guides you into this into this process of make one move, then make the next move, then make the next move. Right, right. Rather than focusing on it as a holistic movement that goes from, from the beginning through to the end. So that's why when you look at it, it tends to look more like a, the movements tend to look a little bit more organic. It's really sort of a free byproduct or side effect of the way we've done it. Very interesting. I would say that we put a lot of effort into making it work that way. It's part of the was one of the one of the benefits. Very interesting. Um, I've talked to you know some other robot people in the past, some people from Fanuc or I think Stobly, and and just a lot of integrators and a lot of people say you know these robots are great, but you're going to need an integrator. Um, you know, what if, you know, the, it messes up the door and somebody's hand gets smashed in it? What if it's holding something sharp? It can only be so user-friendly where it's safe, right? Or do, do these not need so much supervision? Um, well, you've actually covered two topics with that question. Um, and I'll go to the, uh, and I'll, well, I'll address them both. So the first one is with regards to the need, needing an integrator. Integrators are highly experienced and applying robots to specific applications, hooking them up with other equipment, and knowing exactly how to basically put together the whole package. Because the robot's really only part of the package. Now, in a CNC machine, that's not so much the case. In the CNC machine, the robot is pretty standalone. But in most applications, an integrator really has a lot of experience putting the robot into a into an environment and, and an application, including all of the pieces that have to be that have to go with that application, whether they're conveyor belts or their fixtures or their other kinds of feeding equipment. And um, and that's that's the reason to use to use an integrator. So it, it highly depends on your application. Well, what we've done for in the CNC world, and again, I'm going to keep approaching that because that's your 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 area. Yeah, but although I'm interested in in these other applications too, to, just for reference. But anyways, yes. Well, in the CNC world, we have a package, and I would say that 
70, 80% of our customers just install them themselves and get them all working, maybe with a few calls to tech support once in a while with some questions. Now, in terms of other applications, you know, they run the gamut. It depends on, on really the application and the experience of the, uh, of the team that's putting it together. What would be an application? Um, let's say loading and unloading um, things coming down a conveyor belt and putting them into a package, into a carton. Okay. So that's, that's to address that. And, 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 you know, in that circumstance, there might be, for example, fixtures for holding cartons. There may be a conveyor belt involved. There may, there's maybe interfacing the conveyor belt to the robot. So that's where an integrator can, can, can help if the team isn't, isn't able to do it. The robots, our robots themselves are so simple that that becomes really the easiest part of the job. Hmm. The, but the next part you you asked about was safety, and and safety is really critical. And we're we're just kind of crazy nuts over over making sure that uh, people are are safe. So you're right. They they say collaborative robots are safe, and uh, there are these ISO standards that govern the operation of a collaborative robot and what that means to be to be collaborative or a collaborative mode and to be safe. And our robots, of course, comply with all of those. But with that said, as soon as you put a knife in the hand of the robot, it's not safe of anything. <laughs> so it is incumbent on the users of the robot, and this is not something, unfortunately, that we can completely control. It's incumbent on the users of the robot to do what's normally called a risk assessment, and which is which is if they're not familiar with it, it's it's a fancy term for uh, looking at every way that the robot could hurt somebody and figuring out a way to mitigate that. So if the robot has a knife in its hand, you either need to keep the people away from it or you need to take away the knife. Really simple. Mm-hmm. And then it, it runs from there. The collaborative safety standards actually govern how fast the robot can move and how hard it can push. And there are a few other items in there, but those are the the effective or the core two items. Our robots, when you first receive them, will run only in collaborative, get collaborative speeds and forces. And you need a password in order to make it go faster. And you need to get the password from us. And then once you have the password, then you can set up the robot with a whole series of passwords so that you're so that some operators are allowed to run the robot faster. Oh, interesting. And and more basic operators are not able to run the robot faster. What what inning are we in as far as cobots? What inning? I know you're not a baseball guy. Just yeah, no, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> no. Well, ultimately, all robots become cobots. Okay, in the end. Okay. Ultimately, in the end, there's no differentiation. All robots develop the, the intelligence and the simplicity and the safety that people ascribe to, to cobots. Um, so, so from that perspective, we're in the second inning. Yeah. And maybe only the top of the second. Right. Because eventually, they'll just be able to program the machine and do twice as much, right, as they're doing right now. Sure. I mean, in the end... The, uh, the, the notion of programming a robot in the end is, is going to be ancient history. There, in the end, robots won't be programmed. So then they'll what? Be programming themselves? Programming us? Well, hopefully not us, but we'll tell them what to do and hopefully they will obey. And hopefully a little bit uh, uh, obey a little bit better than my dog does. <laughs> 
Um, a few other questions that that brings me to short circuit or terminator. W- which one do you prefer? Uh, well, I don't know what short circuit is. What's that? You never seen short circuit? No, I don't. Steve Gutenberg, Johnny no. Five, I'm Alive. Oh, all right. No, I don't know that one. Well, you know Terminator, right? Okay, Terminator One or Terminator Two? I like the one where the Terminator is the good guy, not the bad guy. Whichever one that one was. That would be number two. Okay, well, I like the I like as a good guy, but I tell you the truth, I can't remember the contents of either of them. <laughs> yeah, for a guy who worked in the movie business for for a number. Yeah. So what's your what's your favorite rope? Do you have a favorite robot movie? Uh, do I have a favorite robot movie? No, I don't know. I kind of like the one where uh, with uh, with uh, I guess it was Will Smith. Um, oh, iRobot. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, I kind of like that one. So I don't know. You know, my first when I first started in this in that whole business, I was in I was in uh, first year of college and I was working on Star Wars. Whoa! I was I was on the special effects crew and didn't really know anything about the robots until I actually saw the movie. So I can't. Which Star Which Star Wars? The first one. Whoa! You're you look you look good for your age. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> 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 Very interesting. That's so cool. What's the most interesting thing you learned last week? <laughs> interesting thing I learned that week? Uh, yeah, I have no idea. Not the most interesting thing, just something. Something you learned that you remember. Uh, that I'm working in my garden and I'm trying to figure out a way to keep the gophers out of the vegetables. That's been the most interesting project I've had last week. Interesting. And have you thought of an automation method to do this? No, I I have a fence. (laughs) (laughs) How organic. Keep the gophers out. Very interesting. Okay. Well, is there anything else that um, you would like to say to the people of the world? Or let's say speaking as productive robotics, if we can help you, give us a call. Mm -hmm. Speaking in general, we are aggressively trying to help and support all efforts of reshoring and bringing manufacturing back to this country. And I think that uh, things have gone too far uh, overseas. Right. We really hope to uh, bring a lot of it back. And yeah, because you can be a, a part of that to keep labor costs down. And if we don't have enough labor, fill in some, fill in some cracks. Well, that's, I have to tell you, I hear it 10 times a week. Um, I, I'm calling you. I'm interested in robots because we can't find enough help. Um, I mean, that's the biggest thing. I, have, I haven't heard a single case of a, of, a, of a person being displaced by a robot, even though they, you read about that in the, in the newspaper all the time. Uh, we really, uh, these, these robots are doing, as, as a customer told me earlier today, mind-numbingly boring work, and uh, people don't want to do it. But that's going to change, right? Aren't they going to be doing more sophisticated stuff by the third inning? By the third inning, I think by the ninth inning, they're going to be doing great stuff. But uh, we'll see how the game progresses. You never know. Sometimes they turn around in the seventh or the eighth. So you never know. Thank you so much, Zach. I really appreciate you being on the show. Oh, hey, thanks a lot for having me. If people are interested in going to your website, what would be the URL to find well, they can go to ProductiveRobotics.com. And if you're in the CNC world, we have a site dedicated to CNC, which is called OB7CNC.com. OB7, the name of our robots, uh, CNC.com.
From today's machining world, this is a Swarfcast production. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to see extended video interviews and join our mailing list. I'm Noah Graff. My occasional co-host is Lloyd Graff. Our audio engineer is Bill Steffi. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information on todaysmachiningworld.com.